we're in a time, and Israel is in this time of this beating and this threshing. I mean, yes, the enemy is doing it. It's a horrific time, but but God doesn't miss any opportunities to turn things together for good. God promises in Joel 2.28 to pour out his spirit on all humanity. Welcome to Global Outpouring, where we contend for that promised outpouring, we equip for that outpouring, so that we may engage in that very outpouring. I'm Philip Buss. And I'm Sharon Buss. Welcome to the podcast today. We realize that there are things going on in the earth today that are causing people to have lots and lots of questions. And one of those big question marks is what's going on in Israel? And we want to give you some perspective from our travels and our experiences and the research that we have done to help you understand the conflict in Israel. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're just so happy that you're with us. And we want to make sure that you understand how interested we are in your feedback. We want to hear from you. How is this podcast helping you? And I think this particular one is going to give you some information that maybe you haven't heard before. And uh, we, we would love to hear from you to find out really what you're thinking And if you've got a question or if you have an idea that you would like for us to bring forward in a podcast, please let us know. Please go to our website, globaloutpouring.net, and there's a form there that you can fill out to give us feedback, or you can write to us an email at feedback at globaloutpouring.org. And while you're there, make sure that you have signed up for our email lists if you haven't already done so. We've got lots of things that we can share with you, and there's all sorts of wonderful material on our website that you can enjoy and that will help you to grow. We want to help equip you. We want to help you engage in the outpouring. We want to help you to contend with us for the outpouring in prayer. We've got prayer sessions going on daily that you can join us, and if you'll write to us on that feedback email, then then we can help get you connected to our prayer times. So today, we've just been thinking about the importance of helping you to understand what is going on in Israel right now. There's, there's war going on. Uh, there, was, there were terrible atrocities. There was a massacre that happened on October 7th, 2023. And when it first happened, I was thinking, okay, it's another skirmish. We've known these things before. Even the Yom Kippur War lasted less than three weeks. And we had plans to go to Israel at the end of October. (laughs) And we've been sorely disappointed that we've not been able to go. (laughs) We've had interesting situations the last few years. Um, We had a tour that was planned for March of 2020. And that didn't happen. happen. And then we rescheduled it for the the fall, November of 2020. Well, that didn't didn't happen happen either. either. And and neither did it happen when we scheduled it for the next year in November. Didn't (laughs) happen. And 
And so then we scheduled one for November of 2023. And it didn't it, happen. That didn't happen. No. So then well. we just scheduled just the two of us, or just a small, there were four of us that were going to go over. Well, no. Nope, that didn't happen either. Nope. Nope. Yeah, they canceled it's, the flights. So. Yeah. It's a very strange time that we're living in yeah. because it's been 45 years that I've been going to Israel. I went the first time in, in 1978 and I was being trained on that tour. My very first one, I was being trained to become the tour coordinator. How many times have you been to Israel? Uh, you know, I quit counting after 30 because I thought, oh, this is just too much to keep up with. And then I, after about, I don't know how many years later, I figured, mm, I think I've probably been about 40 times. And then sometime later, I think, I'm pretty sure I've been something like 50 times. Mostly as, as a tour coordinator, helping people see the land. Mm -hmm. I, I love taking first timers. It just, it just lights my inspiration up to see. When people's faces light up, when they see... And they walk on the land where the, the stories that they've read in the Bible, the scriptures that they've read, it, it just becomes so real yeah, to you. Uh -huh. And so I, I love doing that. And it's, it's just one of my passions yeah. to help people get connected with the word and the land and the people together. And it makes the scripture click. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and then, then after you've been. Uh -huh. Then you read the scripture and you and you remember what the place looked so like. I was there. <laughs> I was there. I yeah. I was I was right there on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and here's this place where Jesus walked on the water. And, walking in Capernaum, where oh, all the yeah. healings took place. All, all those amazing. healings and miracles. So yeah. we have we have a lot of perspective for having well Philip your your first time was was yeah, kind of it was of, 1981 yeah and yeah, it, was, it was our first time and it was like our honeymoon it was like our honeymoon <laughs> yeah we were married in July and and that was an amazing time and I've probably been over 30 times myself yeah and even as a volunteer for the mm -hmm. for the international christian embassy at the feast of tabernacle celebration mm -hmm. being in their choir i did that about 10 times yeah that was and amazing and then i've stayed over there for a month sometimes in the earlier years mm -hmm. so we kind of and we lived over there for 3 months mm -hmm. and uh one time and so it gave yeah, we have quite of um, a feel for the land and what makes things tick over there. Yes, because you don't if because you you can't judge the nation by what you're seeing in the papers. Oh my uh, goodness! It's totally, no. um, as the Russians say, propaganda. Yeah. So if you're listening, you know everything you're listening to most most of this on the news, you're being propagandized. If that's mm -hmm. a word. Yeah, it is a word. <laughs> Propagandized, you know. So, yeah. so take everything you listen to with a grain of salt because you're yes. not hearing the truth. Yes. Unless you're on a real Israeli site. Right. And even some of those are stilted the wrong direction, too. Yeah. Um, but I, I was listening to someone who is, is an Israeli, and, and he was talking about somebody that he knew from America that had— you know, he's got his ear to the ground. He's listening for what's going on in America. This man's a Christian and he's believing in the end times. And, you know, so it's mm -hmm. important to know what's going on in Israel. And so he's listening to the news all the time. And what he had heard on American news had very little to do with, with what had actually happened. 
uh, in uh-huh. in you know in this massacre around the what they call the Gaza envelope the the communities that are around mm-hmm. the Gaza Strip and so he he didn't even know what had wow. really happened so there's lots of information out there we don't really want to go into that particularly right now but there was a terrible massacre and atrocities terrible yeah. terrible atrocities but we want to help you understand why that happened and what's going on and how the people are thinking and and who's who in the zoo so to speak and just to give you some information to help you know how to pray because really contending for the outpouring has a lot to do with contending for what's going on in the spirit realm in israel because it's god's Uh land he says in his words that in his word that it's his land Mm -hmm. and he promised it to abraham and then he reiterated it more than once to abraham and i'll just give you a couple of the scriptures where he promised it first a abram was called in uh in genesis 12 and and god sent him to the land go to the land that i show you right Mm -hmm. and then when there's a covenant made where Abraham, was he Abraham by then? Yes. No, he was still Abram. And he falls into a deep sleep. He's, he's been told by the Lord to sacrifice all these animals. And Abram falls into a deep sleep. And God himself comes down like a furnace and mm-hmm. passes through the pieces, which is what was done to make a covenant. You would pass through the pieces together. At, but God did this himself because... He's going to keep the covenant. Mm-hmm. It's his covenant. It's his covenant, and it's his plan, and he's going to execute it. He's going to make it happen. And so in Genesis 15, he said that in the same day that the Lord made covenant with Abram, saying, unto your seed have I given this land, he says, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. And he goes on to talk about the different ites that are living there that, you know, they think it's their land, but God is basically saying, it's my land and I'm giving it to you and your descendants. And then in Genesis 26, mm-hmm. he's reiterating the covenant to Isaac, yeah, Abraham's son. And he says uh, in verse 26, Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. Now, Gerar is in the vicinity of the Gaza Strip. I don't think it's actually in the Strip. I'm not sure that they really know where Gerar is, whether it's actually a a city or whether it's a region. Um, The maps are not very clear, so I presume that the scholars are kind of not really sure. They're not in agreement. Or not in agreement, yeah. yeah. And it says in verse 2, And the Lord appeared unto him, which is Isaac, and said, Don't go down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell you of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For unto you and unto your seed I will give all these countries, plural. Mm -hmm. And I will perform the oath which I swore unto Abraham your father. And I will make your seed to multiply as the seeds as the stars of heaven, and give your seed all these countries, and in in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. 
because mm-hmm. Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments and my statutes and my laws. And Isaac dwelt in Gerar. Okay. Isaac lived in that region that is in conflict right now. Mm-hmm. And God said to him, I'm giving this to you and your descendants and all these countries that he promised all the way to the Euphrates, which I think only ever came into the possession of Israel under David. David conquered all the way to the Euphrates and a little ways down into the Sinai. Now there's a, there's a big question as to where is this river of Egypt? Mm -hmm. And there are some people that say that it's a wadi somewhere, um, you know, near that that southern border that's current currently the southern border. And that's like a wash, a uh, wadi. Yeah, a, a wadi is is like a a a dry riverbed that becomes yeah. a river when it rains. Yeah, you see that when you go up west here, if you're across yes. Interstate 40, or yeah, so you'll see wadi, name of a wadi here. That and that's yeah. yeah, and you know, even even in our own valley, we have. We have places that when it rains, it becomes a little stream. Yeah. But don't think that would be what God would say, what <laughs> yeah. God would call a river. Yeah. To me, there's only one river of Egypt. Mm-hmm. I think it's the Nile. Nile. But, you know, uh-huh. that remains to be seen. Uh, I'm not going to I'm not gonna die on that hill, yeah. but, you know. Yeah, and this is uh, 1900 B.C. Yeah. You know, that's what uh, kind of the timeline, what it— you know, the, what it says here. And so we're talking yeah, almost 4,000 years ago. So that was that was what? Uh, when uh, Abraham. When God promised it to Abraham? 14? Yeah, uh-huh. Okay. So 1900. About 19, 1900 B.C. Okay. So we're talking almost 4,000 years 4, ago. Almost 4,000 years ago. So that's, so that is when the covenant, you know, God made a covenant with Abraham or Abram. Yes. At this point and to give the land. Right. And then we know that, that he evolved. reiterated it also to Jacob. And Jacob told it to his sons when mm-hmm. they were in Egypt and, and said, now you're going to come out of here. God had promised them that they would spend 400 years being oppressed in Egypt. And, mm-hmm. and then they came out of slavery and they came into the promised land under Joshua and so on. We, we don't need to go yeah, into all, all go that, that history. But I'm just saying that there is history that is verifiable archaeologically. Yeah. There's more archaeological finds in Israel per square foot yeah, it seems than like probably that. anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> and, Amazing. And, and certainly that it connects to the Bible. Yeah. If, you, if you search through YouTube, you will find all kinds of information of archaeological finds that are happening now. They mm-hmm. keep happening. They keep finding things that that agree with the word of God and agree with the fact that the Israelites were there mm-hmm. over the last four thousand years. Yeah. Okay. So where where did this Palestine thing come from? Yeah. How? What happened? How did this happen? Okay. Uh, uh, we're just going to take a quick look at at this history. So we know that when Israel went into captivity with Assyria. Shortly thereafter, some years thereafter, Judah went into captivity to Babylon for 70 years. Then they came back. Mm-hmm. Some of them, some of them stayed some there. Stayed, yeah. and, and, and there's what they call the diaspora, where the dispersion of the Jews went out through, the, through that uh, 70 years and through the captivity of Assyria 
that, that Assyria brought on Israel, they dispersed throughout the nations. And that's something God was in because they were disobedient, okay? God warned them and warned them and warned mm-hmm. them and warned them. And it was like 400 years from the time that Saul came in as king until they were sent out into Babylonian captivity. So it's not like it happened overnight that mm-hmm. God suddenly got mad. Yeah. Okay, it happened over a period of something like 400 years. So that's something like 100 generations. God kept giving them another chance and another chance. And, and, another and, chance. and, and, and every, every time there would be a little bit of a, of a revival and people would come back to God and it would last for a generation or two and then they'd fall back. And they get a, get a bad king. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, but it, it's mm-hmm. all because they didn't obey him in the first place yeah. and deal with all of the Canaanites. Now, I heard an interesting interview recently with Nehemiah Gordon and Rabbi Yehuda Glick. And one thing that Rabbi Glick said that I thought really helped me understand the why of Israel wiping out the Canaanites and why God said to wipe them out. It's because in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all five of the books of the Torah, Uh in every book, it's made clear that you're not supposed to kill anybody because we're made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. So we're supposed yeah. to value life. Yeah. And valuing that life that comes from God. But what he said was that the Canaanites did not value life. And they were violent and they were killing all the time and they were sacrificing their babies, their very own offspring, they're sacrificing to false gods. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he said that's the reason why God said, okay, it's time to wipe them out because it's like it's like this. God said, don't murder. Okay. When he said thou shalt not kill, he meant thou shalt not murder. Okay. That's don't, the Hebrew. Don't that's murder. the Hebrew. Don't yeah. murder. But then he also said that if if a person murders, their blood is supposed to be shed in order to take away the curse of the shedding of innocent blood. Okay, one cancels the other. Yeah. And that's why we, as as believers in Yeshua, we believe that he paid the price, that Jesus paid the price for us on the cross. And his blood now substitutes where, in other circumstances, where you would have to shed someone's blood. I'm, and it's not that I'm necessarily against capital punishment. I think there are times when it's appropriate. But the point is, that's the reason why the Canaanites had to be wiped out. It's cause and effect. Mm -hmm. They were murderers. They were murderers of their own children. And God wanted that whole thing wiped out to cleanse the land of the murder of the shedding of innocent blood that had already taken place on the land. So that's why the Canaanites had to be wiped out. Okay. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting point that helped me understand a lot of what's going on. So when the tribe of Judah came back from Babylon. And I'm sure that there were members of other tribes that came back as well that that had been dispersed in Babylon. When they came back and resettled the land, all went well for a while until Alexander the Great showed up in something like 330 BC. And he was bent on taking over the whole region. And when he died, then he separated, the land was separated by his generals And different ones had 
a section. And, mm-hmm. and then there was this horrible Antiochus Epiphanes was one of the the ones that took over that region. And he's the one that sacrificed a, a pig, pig on the altar, on the altar and yeah. set up his own idol in, in the temple. And the Maccabees rose up and cleansed the temple. And they had, they had the miracle of Hanukkah with the, with the oil that, that was enough for one day lasting eight days. And that's the area where it's like 400 silent years between the end of the the Old Testament to the starting right. of the New Testament. Right. Yeah, it's about four hundred years of history there. Yeah, it's another four hundred hi- year history. Yeah. I think it's interesting that there's these clumps of four hundred years. Four hundred years, yeah. Uh, I, and, and I've been yeah. I've been studying this, and uh, I'm I'm interested. You you just watch, just pay attention to where where there's a four hundred year thing, because it's been four hundred years since the the Mayflower. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's interesting. an interesting little piece of information. Anyway. That's a bunny trail. We won't go on. So when the Maccabees rose up and, and there, was a, there was a strong government set in place um, that, that the Jews were in charge for a season, and then they asked the Romans for help against the Greeks. Mm-hmm. Well, that invited Rome yeah. to come and take over. And then Rome became the oppressor. And, you know, so they were in charge when Jesus came. And what happened was there there were some other revolts that came after that, that that the the zealots, you may have heard the word zealot in your New Testament, right? Yeah. So uh, Simon the zealot was <laughs> Simon the zealot was one too. of, and and Judas Iscariot was a zealot too. Um, but what happened was that there were these revolts, mm-hmm. and Rome would come and crush them, and then there was a revolt in one thirty five A.D. Well, this is after Rome had already uh, destroyed the temple in 70 AD, but there was one final revolt, and Rome was so done with the Jews that they, they came in and absolutely crushed. They crushed Judaism. They made the vast majority leave. Not everybody left. There were Jews left in place always. There have always been Jews there. But Rome was so fed up that they no longer called the province Judea. They renamed it Palestina. Palestina. They named it after the Philistines. That's who they named it after, the Philistines. You remember Goliath of Gath was a Philistine. Philistine. Okay, the, the Abimelech was a Philistine. And the Philistines were, were troublemakers the whole time. The tribe of Dan wasn't successful getting rid of them. So they just moved up north because it was too hard for them. You know, they, they settled someplace else. They didn't do their job. The Philistines should have been dealt with back then. <sighs> and what is part of their territory? Gaza. Today, Gaza. Exactly. That's their territory. Exactly. So Rome renamed the land Palestina as a slap in the face to the Jews. They wanted to wipe off all memory of the Jews. They wanted it to never be called Judea again. And and so they they it was slapped the Jews in the face, as it were, by renaming this after the ancient enemies of Israel that had only lived in that southwest section of the land, you know, just right along the Mediterranean, the Gaza Strip, and a little bit above that, Ashdod, Ashkelon, those cities were Philistine cities. 
And so Rome renamed the entire land Palestine or Palestina. And they called it Syria-Palestina because it was connected to Syria. Uh, So then in the 600s, the Muslims came. And there was one, uh, there there was conquest after conquest where the, the Muslims came first and then the Crusaders and then there was back and forth a bit. And then there were different uh, different groups of Muslims that wanted to rule. So now we're going to cover more of the other side of the conflict in part two. I just want to point out that, you know, at this point, the Muslims came. They did not call it Palestine. They had their own names for it. I don't want to go into what, what they called it, but you can, you can look that up for yourself. And uh, I just want to help you to understand why it's been called Palestine and why we have this confusion now about it. It, it originally wasn't called Palestine. And these British scholars, God bless them, and, and the European scholars that, that uh, wrote things in the 17 and 1800s and, and early part of the 20th century, they were calling it Palestine because that's what it said on the maps from Rome. It was called Palestine under Rome. So they didn't call it Judea when they were writing their, their scholarly material, and I don't know why. They would talk about Palestine in the time of Christ. Well, it wasn't called Palestine in the time of Christ. It was called Judea. Even though it was under Rome, at the time, it was called Judea. So that's one of my little things that bothers me, you know, uh, that, that they would call it Palestine in the time of Christ. And it wasn't called Palestine in those days. So there's, that's why there's a lot of confusion, because uh, scholars who have studied the Bible and have studied these, these writings of the scholars of the 17 and 1800s, you know, there was, there was a lot of scholarly material that came out once the Bible became available to the layman and became into print. So it just created more confusion to continue to call it Palestine. And then when the British came in 1917 and in 1920, when they documented things, they called it Palestine. Even though they were talking about making a homeland for the Jews, they called it officially Palestine. So that's where the the confusion has come. And we'll talk more about the other side of things, but here's a little interesting piece of information that came into my hands recently. There was an article that was written in 2007, and maybe you know about this, but I didn't, about a book. I, I'm no Latin scholar, but it's, <laughs> it was written in Latin. Uh, it's called Palestina ex Monumentis Veteribus Illustrata <laughs> by Hadriani Rilandi. And Hadriani Rilandi was a Dutchman that came in 1695 to the Holy Land, to what he called Palestina, because mm-hmm. he didn't know any better. Yeah. That's what the Romans had last called it. That's what the, that's what the maps said yeah, in their true. day, uh-huh. okay? And so he was, a, he was a cartographer. That means he was a map maker. Kind of like Lewis and Clark yeah. in this country. Right. So uh-huh. he went there on a journey. He was like a tourist, but he was a cartographer. He wanted to make maps. Mm-hmm. And he was also a scholar of the languages. So he could speak Hebrew. He could speak Arabic. He could speak Greek. He knew Latin. Uh, he wrote the book in Latin, Latin. Okay. Yeah. 
And, and it was published in 1714, and there are precious few of them out there. And you can find uh, pictures and so on, on online. I found some of the maps and printed them. I'm fascinated with the maps because he was very, very careful to mark things according to what the Bible said, according to the Talmud, according to the Mishnah, which are other Jewish writings, in case you're not familiar with those. But he made these amazing maps, and and he also kind of did a census as he was going throughout the land. He, he located all these little these little villages and counted the people in them, counted the number of families and so on. And, and he, he recorded this information and it's really amazing what he discovered. But this particular article that is by Avi Goldreich, and it's originally published on think-israel.org and several people have, have copied it and, and posted it. These are some of his prominent conclusions, and I'll just read a few of these things. Most of the settlement names originate in the Hebrew, Greek, Latin, or Roman languages. In fact, till today, except to Ramla, not one Arabic settlement has an original Arabic name. For instance, the the name Nablus, Uh that comes from the Latin that means new city. New city. Novelist. And, it's, and uh-huh. it's kind of Arabicized. It's not Latin anymore, but it's mm-hmm. Arabicized. Yeah, sort okay. of like, like when we Anglicize a, a, a word and to make it fit in English. Okay, so then it goes on to say, till today, most of the settlement's names are of Hebrew or Greek origin, the names distorted to senseless Arabic names. There is no meaning in Arabic to names such as Akko, uh, Haifa, Jaffa, Nablus, Gaza, J- or Janine, and towns named Ramallah, El Halil, and El Quds for Jerusalem lack historical roots or Arabic philology, which means, mm-hmm. okay, they're not Arabic sourced words. In 1696, the year Rilandi toured the land, Ramallah, for instance, was called Beit Allah from the Hebrew name Beit El. House of God. Yeah. So another point is that most of the land was empty and desolate, and the inhabitants few in number and mostly concentrate in the towns of Jerusalem, Akko, Tzfat, Jaffa, Tiberias, and Gaza. Most of the inhabitants were Jews and the rest Christians. There were few Muslims, mostly nomad Bedouins. Nablus, known as Shechem, or Shechem, was exceptional, where approximately 120 people members of the Muslim Natsha family, and approximately 70 uh, Samaritans lived. In the Galilee capital, Nazareth, lived approximately 700 Christians, and in Jerusalem, approximately 5,000 people, mostly Jews and some Christians. Hmm. The interesting part was that Rilandi mentioned the Muslims are as nomad Bedouins who arrived in the area as construction and agricultural labor, agriculture labor reinforcement seasonal workers. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So they, this wasn't their home. They were just brought they, Well, they were Bedouins. Bedouins. So, so they, they, they travel. They would, you know, if they have their flocks, they're going to, mm-hmm. they're going to move with their flocks. Well, That's, there, there's grass. And, right. They, they, they follow the grass. Yeah. In Gaza, for example, here's, here's an interesting point. In Gaza, for example, lived approximately 550 people, 
50% Jews and the rest mostly Christians. Tiberius and Svat were mostly Jewish, and except of mentioning fishermen fishing in Lake Kinneret, the Lake of Galilee, a traditional Tiberius occupation, there was no mention of their occupations. A town like Um El Fahem was a village where 10 families, approximately 50 people in total, all Christian, lived, and there was also a small Maronite church in the village. So I just want to comment on this, that the people that were living in that land at that time were perhaps called Palestinians. But I don't know that the Ottomans actually called them Palestinians. I think they probably called them Arabs and Jews and Christians uh, because Palestine wasn't national name of a place. It was, they, there was never a state of Palestine. It was always a region that was under somebody else's control. And so that's why we have this amazing confusion that's coming from a narrative that has no basis in history. And we'll talk more about that in the next episode. But we want to talk a little bit more just for a few moments about how to pray for Israel. Because this is an amazing, amazingly difficult, horrific, horrific time. And the people of Israel are in mourning because of the massacre that happened on October 7th. And everybody, it's a small country, so everybody knows somebody that was lost in that. And, and now they're starting to lose uh, some soldiers and, and everybody knows somebody. And so the whole country is in mourning and you're seeing a unity come where there in recent months before there was uh, quite a lot of turmoil where the left and the right were really fighting each other. And um, so you have among the Jewish people, the Israelis. You have a lot of differences of opinion. There are secular Jews. Among the secular Jews, there's divisions of agnostics and atheists. And, you know, there's some that are Buddhists and Hindus that have gone looking for something else. And you'll have those that are kind of like, they know that there's a God and they know that they should do something, but they might only just participate in the fast on Yom Kippur and they don't practice anything else. Or they, then there's those that'll keep Shabbat, but they'll never go to synagogue. And there's just, there's different levels. There's different streams, just like we have multiple streams in Christianity. There's also multiple streams in Judaism. So you've got all of these different people that are right now at least somewhat unified for the purpose of mourning together and fighting together. And those who are not typical of taking up arms, you know, the, the very Orthodox, they, they, might not, they might not go into the army, although some of them have, but they'll come alongside and they'll help. We just heard a story recently of some of these folks that got together and brought a truck with washers and dryers, I don't know how they did all this to, to have the water supply and the electric supply, but they, they brought them to the front so that the soldiers could get their uh, fatigues washed and dried, and, and they even ironed them for them. You know, they're coming alongside to help. They're, they're going to do what they can to help. So, so there's a, a unifying that's taking place, but they're all, they're all in mourning as well. 
So this is a time when we need to pray for them, first of all, that they will unify and put their eyes on their heavenly father. They'll put their eyes on the God of Israel. And they'll realize that we can't do this ourselves. We have to have the help of God. And until they humble themselves and pray and seek his face. Remember that Second Chronicles 7.14 was written for them. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. The Lord spoke that. And so this is a message that needs to get to every person, every Israeli needs to come to that place where they'll humble themselves and turn to their heavenly father. And as they're turning, many of them are going to also discover that their Messiah has been there for the last 2,000 years almost and has been available and is their redeemer. This is a time uh, you may have heard Chuck Pierce or some of uh, some others talking about this year that just came in with Rosh Hashanah or, or the Feast of Trumpets, that this, this new year is 5784. And that number, it, it doesn't actually spell anything. Sometimes, sometimes there's a word that comes out because the, the numbers in Hebrew are also letters, so you can spell things with it. But in this particular case, some folks have looked at the Strong's Concordance Hebrew number, 5784, and they've discovered that it is the word for chaff that is used in Daniel. And if, if you look at the picture of chaff, you know, chaff is the the husk or the the covering that's around the grain that you have to beat it to loosen it and then you you throw it up into the air and the wind will blow away the chaff and you can liken that to the fleshly nature that we have uh, compared to the spirit you know you have to kind of sometimes you go through a beating in in order to discover oh I guess my problem is that I'm in the flesh <laughs> instead of in the spirit. And so Israel is going through this beating, and I think that other nations are doing that, or our only nation, United States, I believe, is in that kind of a chaff-beating, threshing time that God is trying to deal with us and get us to wake up to him so that we can we can get down to the grain itself that has value. The grain is what you grind into flour and and that can become bread and feed the hungry. But chaff, you know, every once in a while, if you're eating um, some of that kind of really healthy bread that came from whole grains, once in a while, you'll find a little bit of, of that husk, that chaff in it, and, and you just have to spit it out. You know, It doesn't chew up. So we're in a time, and Israel is in this time of this beating and this threshing. I mean, yes, the enemy is doing it. It's a horrific time, but but God doesn't miss any opportunities to turn things together for good. That's what he does, according to Romans 8, 28. So, so pray for Israel in this time. We know that God has a plan, and it is an amazing plan. So we know that God has promised this land to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And we want you to understand God's heart for keeping his covenant. That's what he does. He's a covenant-keeping God. And there's, there's a wonderful scripture in the Psalms that says, You will arise and have mercy on Zion for the time to favor her. Yea, the set time has come. And I just want to encourage you to go out to our YouTube channel, and we'll put uh, a link to this in the show notes. Uh, Claren McQueen, a dear, dear friend of ours and member of this ministry, also an amazing, amazing worship leader. He has lived in Israel and he he understands so much more than we do even of God's purposes for Israel and what God wants to do and and how he's doing it and how he's fulfilling his word. So I want to encourage you to go to our the podcast that we did with him about this and also to the message that he preached at our convention 2023 that so clearly outlines what is in God's heart and how Israel is a key in God's plan and purpose in the whole earth. So get the rest of this. And we're going to go into the other side of the conflict in our next episode. It will be part two. And so tune in next time and get the rest of the story the way the Lord has showed it to us to share with you so that you understand both sides of this situation and be in prayer for Israel, and be in prayer for the hostages, and be in prayer for the people that are really hostages to Islam. That's what we're going to talk about next time. God bless you. Amen. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the podcasting platform suggest this podcast to other listeners who are also looking for a great move of the Holy Spirit. Check out our website at globaloutpouring.org to find out more information, read our blogs, connect with us, and donate. You can also browse our web store for life-changing anointed books. Until next time, this is Sharon Buss. And I'm Philip Buss. God bless you with his overwhelming, loving presence.